moving on to this evening, I want to um, have a look at a story that I've looked at before with you, but um, I just feel that God laid it on my heart for this evening. So um, I'm going to read you a passage to start this evening from John chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. So I'll just read that through to you first, um, and then we'll have a little look at it afterwards. So it's the healing at the pool. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there, is, now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who had been there, an invalid, for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there, and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, it is a Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. That would have been considered as work, okay, carrying your mat. Um, But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I am too working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, I'm sure you may have heard that passage before, the healing at the pool of Bethesda. But I love this account. This is Jesus' very first public miracle. There'd been two before that, but they were kind of more private miracles that had taken place. They were taking place at a wedding, and they were taking place at households. But here we see Jesus performing this miracle in the open air, in front of crowds of people. Not only was this a very public miracle, but it was a miracle that took place on the Sabbath, on the day of rest. And that caused the the real opposition from the religious leaders. So this evening, I wonder, should we have a look at what we're allowed to do on the Sabbath? Okay, now, when I was young, when I was a teenager, that would have been spoken about a lot, what we were allowed to do on the Sabbath. You cannot buy an ice cream from a kiosk on a Sabbath, okay? Um, Now... I mustn't joke, but um, we're not going to have a look tonight at what you are and aren't allowed to do on the Sabbath. It's less about the ground rules for what we should be doing on the Sabbath and more about the character and the nature and the person of Jesus. 
There is no doubt in my mind at all that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he healed this man on the Sabbath. He healed him on the Sabbath, the day of rest, and he told him to carry his bed, which was considered as work, as a demonstration to all around him that this man who had once been lying here, unable to walk, was now, had now been made whole. Jesus knew, he knew this was going to create a stir and he knew that conflict would come. And you know what I love about the life of Jesus time and time again when I look at the life of Jesus, that whenever there is conflict between himself and the religious leaders or religious rules, there's something about the character and identity of Jesus that just shines through in such an amazing way something about the nature of Jesus that just challenges us and shines through again. So this evening I'm going to have a look at three areas of the character of Jesus that are revealed in this passage, but I also really believe that God wants to show us tonight three um, aspects to the nature of Jesus that we can draw from this, par- this passage. So I'm going to start by setting the scene. Okay, firstly, Jesus is back in Jerusalem. And whilst he's there, he makes a point of going to this pool, Bethesda. He makes a point of going there, okay? It wasn't kind of like he was just walking along and he suddenly found himself, oh, I'm here. He made a point of going there. And it's interesting that the Hebrew word for Bethesda means house of grace or house of mercy. But it could also be translated in the Aramaic as shame or disgrace. There's two meanings to this word Bethesda. Jesus chooses to go to this place where there's these people, hundreds of people who have disabilities and diseases, those who felt ashamed and those who felt disgraced, who'd been thrown aside by the world around them. And they were literally waiting at the side of this pool, waiting for the stirring of the water to be shown grace and to be shown mercy because this is where healing happened at this pool. This was where healing happened. In the King James Version of the Bible, it tells us that during a certain season, an angel would appear and stir up the waters. And once the angel had appeared, the first person to be in the water would be the one to receive their healing. So all of these people waited there because they were the one who wanted to receive their healing. Now, how this pool exactly worked isn't essential to this story this evening. However, the fact that Jesus walked through the crowds, he went through the crowds of people, all of those waiting, and he performed this miracle is essential to the story. Secondly, the place is heaving. Okay, it's absolutely heaving with people. The Bible says that at the pool there were five alcoves, and each alcove had hundreds of people in the alcove. There were the sick, there were the blind, there were paralyzed, there were crippled people. And we're going to think about for a moment why, out of the hundreds of people that were there, did Jesus choose this man? Why was it this man that Jesus chose to go to? So what does the passage tell us about the character of Jesus? Firstly, Jesus knows. 
Jesus is all knowing. He knows all about us. Verse 6 says, when Jesus saw this man and knew how long he'd been there, he knew how long he'd been there. Jesus knew that he had sat beside that pool for 38 years. Can you imagine? 38 years sitting beside that pool, waiting for healing. 38 years of being paralyzed, unable to walk, living with hope that you might just one day receive that miracle, that healing that you've been so desperately waiting for. Jesus knew. He knew the situation. Do you know that when we put our faith in Jesus, when we come into a relationship with Jesus, that's the same Jesus that we know. He knows all about us. He knows everything about you. He knows inside and out. He knows all the thoughts and feelings we've ever had and all the thoughts and feelings we will ever have. The Bible says that God knows about every little bird that falls from the sky onto the ground. And not only that, he knows about you. Jesus says he knows how many hairs are on your head. Some more than others. I can see this evening you counting. It doesn't take much for God in some of them, some people. Um, but he knows how many hairs they're numbered. But isn't it amazing, mind-blowing thought, that the God who we prayed this morning in the prayer meeting, we were quiet and we said, God, you are my all in all. The God over everything. Our awesome God knows me. All about me. Think about the whole world, the whole creation of the world. He knows about me and he's concerned about me. He's interested in me. He knows the things that bother me. He knows the things that keep me awake at night. He knows the things that concern me. He knows the things that this week have brought me real heartache. He knows the things that bring tears in my eyes even if it's an act on Britain's Got Talent and Martin is despairing at me and I'm there weeping away and he's like, what are you doing? He knows. He knows the things that set me off. He knows the things that worry me. He's concerned about it. He knows about it. He's aware of things that are going on in the world today. When we look at the BBC News and we go, my goodness, look at this, what's happened. God's not shocked. He's not surprised. God's not taken by surprise because his knowledge is as eternal as he is. He knows. He knows. He knows the end from the beginning. And this all-knowing, all-loving God loves you. He loves you. He loves you with an eternal love. Psalm 139 says, You discern my thoughts from afar. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. Before a word is on our tongue, God knows it. God knows that word. The more we get to know Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. And the more precious this truth becomes as we grow in him. The second thing about Jesus we see from this passage is that he's the God of compassion. He has compassion. Jesus made the decision to go to this pool. He didn't stumble across it. He didn't have to go to the pool. He knew exactly where he was going. He knew where he had to go. And you remember the time when Jesus went to Samaria and he found that woman at the well. He knew where he was going. He knew she would be there in the heat of the day. He knew he would have that conversation with her. It was intentional. Jesus moved himself 
towards the need. He moved himself towards the brokenhearted, not just to the place that was comfortable. He moved himself um, to the brokenhearted. Jesus moved himself towards the need. And you know, that is a challenge for us all too. Where is Jesus asking us to go towards the need? Where is Jesus asking you to go to move towards the need? Not just the comfortable places, but those who really need to know the love of God. There was um, a situation, I remember a time uh, when I was in church one Sunday morning some years ago, um, and um, I came into church and someone said to me, "Um, I know someone and they're really unwell. And uh, they were concerned about them. And I'd had a really busy week, really, really busy week. And I was thinking, all I want to do is be in church with my friends and uh, just worship and just sit there and be comfortable, really. And so I said, oh, that's a shame. <laughs> anyway, when we were in worship, I just had this person on my heart. And I thought, I can't let them go. We've got to go. So um, I thought, I've got to go and see this person. So um, I grabbed Colin LePage, who was next to me at the time, said, Colin, we've got to go. And he was looked at me and I said yeah we've got to go so off we went so we went to this person and we went to their house and um, as we went in it was really clear that this was a serious situation the person was drifting in and out of consciousness they were speaking a bit delirious they were really really not well and um, the pain they were experiencing was unbearable and they were refusing flat out to get an ambulance because they couldn't, they didn't have the money to pay for one. So Colin and I said, just, we're just going to order you, get you an ambulance and don't worry, we'll cover it at the church, just get you the ambulance. And so the ambulance came, took them off. Anyway, we didn't hear anything about it um, for a couple of days. And then we were told that we were moments away from that person losing their life because they had infection in their body which had taken hold. And if they hadn't had an ambulance, then we didn't know where they would be today. And it just reminds me again, we need to be where God wants us to be and not to reject those niggling thoughts. Sometimes you just get a little thought that niggles away in your mind. And if you go somewhere and there's nothing there, well, what have you got to lose? What have we got to lose? But sometimes God says something to us. And when we go, you know, we're so blessed because actually we know we're where God needs us to be in that moment. It would have been so easy to have been comfortable in that time. But actually, you know, by going and meeting need, you're doing what God is asking you to do. So back to the passage. And for a moment, place ourselves in the shoes of this man. There he is. He's been unable to walk for 38 years, 38 years unable to walk. You've lived beside this pool, totally alone, totally on your own, probably just in your own thoughts every single day, rejected by friends and family on your own. Then out of nowhere, a complete stranger comes up to you and asks you the question, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? 38 years, unable to walk, sitting by the pool, do you want to be made well? What a bizarre question. Do I want to be made well? Can you imagine if the response had been, no, thank you very much. I'm quite happy sitting here by this pool. I'll probably die here, actually, but I'm quite happy being here and uh, staying here by this pool. But why does Jesus ask it? Why does Jesus even ask the question? You know, Jesus never forces his way into our lives. 
He always waits for our invitation. He never pushes himself upon us. Jesus says, do you want me to change your life? Do you want a life change? The question that Jesus is asking isn't about really about physical healing. It's about the desire in the man's heart. It's about what's in his heart. And the man replies with a response that's kind of based on his own ability. He kind of makes a few excuses. He says, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool. And when the water is stirred up, but when I, while I'm coming and someone else gets in before me and jumps in the pool before me and I can't do it. It was a simple, yes, I do want to be made well, or no question. But instead, he gives all these responses. And our response, that response is so important. You know, Jesus is so full of compassion. Jesus doesn't ask, how come you weren't able to get yourself in there? You know, he doesn't say that to him. He doesn't look down on him, but rather, do you want to? Do you want to be changed? Do you want to be well? He's not frustrated with this man for never winning the race, never getting first, never jumping in. He doesn't expect him to have done it. The man thinks Jesus is disappointed and starts saying, you know, like, I I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it. Maybe Jesus thinks I should have been faster, I should have been quicker, I should have been better, I should have been sitting at the edge of the pool. But that's not what Jesus asks. Jesus is simply asking because Jesus is willing to do it for him. Jesus is willing to make him well. All he has to do is say yes. And so often I think we find ourselves feeling like God expects us to have it all together. That we have to have it all together. And that kind of perspective robs us from having that close relationship with Jesus. It hinders us from serving. It stops us from having our quiet times. We have a whole list of reasons why we're not good enough. Why someone else could do the job far better. Someone else is far more gifted than me. We, we don't think we're good enough. Remember, God's all-knowing and God's all-compassionate. He's all-compassionate. He sees our endless struggles with ourselves. Okay, he knows the promises that we make time and time again to him. And the amount of times we keep stumbling along, the times we say, God, I'll never do that again. I'll never do it again. And then there the next half an hour, I've done it again. You know, he sees it and he knows it and he knows how much we stumble along. You know, he knows that we will never conquer those issues on our own. We can never do it on our own. And in the back of our minds, we somehow think that God's disappointed with us. He's disappointed. We've let him down. But all the time, he's saying to us, do you desire to be made well? Do you want to be made well? I've tried. I can't do it, God. Do you want to be made well? I'm offering this to you. Just come to me. Jesus has endless compassion and desires to do what we can't do on our own. He knows exactly what your abilities are. Philippians 4 says, without me you can do nothing, but you can do all things through him who strengthens you. It's only through God. We can do all things through him who strengthens us. 
God is interested in our desire, not in our ability. He's looking for faith. Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. Is there a situation, I wonder, in your life right now that seems impossible? Seems like you could never do. Just like that man, I could never get up and walk on my own. Is there something that you feel seems impossible right now? Jesus never calls you to do something that he's not prepared to enable you to do, to help you to do. And time and time again throughout the Gospels, we read that Jesus was filled with compassion. He was filled with compassion, moved with compassion. And not only um, is, does Jesus know you perfectly, know you intimately, but he's filled with compassion to meet you exactly where you are. Wherever you are this evening, whatever you've come in with, I don't mean sitting on a chair in Shiloh. I mean in your life situation, wherever you are, Jesus has compassion to meet you right now, this evening. And finally, thirdly, Jesus is all-powerful. We've sung it tonight. Jesus is all-powerful. He has complete knowledge of our situation. He's filled with compassion for us. And then we see that his power is immediate. In verse 8 and 9, we read, Jesus said, Get up, take your bedroll, start walking. The man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bed and walked off on the spot. Instant power. Amazing miracle. This is a fantastic model for our own walk with Jesus. We grow in knowledge by spending time with Jesus. We get filled with God's heart. We've just sung, haven't we? Fill me with your heart for people, for the brokenhearted. He fills us with compassion for others. And the more and more time we spend in it with him, the more our relationship grows in him, the more he fills us with his power of the Holy Spirit. And the more we walk in that power of the Holy Spirit to take it to those, take him to those around us. And that would be my prayer for each and every one of us that as we wake up, as we move into each day, we would start the day by praying, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me to the places where you want me to go today. Where are you leading me to today? Where is that heart of compassion that I need to show to people today? We want to see God at work in incredible ways in situations that we just didn't even think were possible. We want God to do things through us that people can say, I didn't even know I could do that, and God just did it through me. It might just be speaking a word of encouragement. It's just so many different ways. It's those God instances rather than just looking at things as coincidences. It's God placing us in the right place at the right time for him to move and to use us. A while ago, um, Martin and I were out in town one evening. It was Christmas time, and um, we'd come out of a restaurant, and we were heading back to the taxi rank. And I said to Martin, oh, look, there's a, some sort of someone's left their clothes on the side of the road. I thought there was a pile of clothes. And as we got closer, loads of people walking past the taxi ranks. I realized it was a man lying on the side of the road, asleep on the side of the road. He had a little bit too much to drink, but there he was, fast asleep inside of the road. And as so many people walked past, I said to Martin, Martin, you've got to pick him up. You've got to put him over your shoulder and take him to the taxi rank, as you do. So Martin picked him up, put him over his shoulder, and we went to the taxi rank with him. Um, and we're standing in the taxi rank, and of course, the taxis are there. 
and no one will let us in the taxi, eh? Because we've got this man um, with us, and he's been drinking. So Mike wasn't. Where's Mike? Mike's not there. Mike wasn't around. So we're there with this man um, in the taxi rank, um, and I said to Martin, "Well, we've got to do something. We can't leave him here um, because you know he'd have been arrested for being drunk in a public place." I thought, "What do we do?" Um, so I said, Martin, leave him with me. You go and find the police van, and then we'll see if a kind policeman will take him home. So I've got him on my shoulder while everyone else is going past, um, and he's falling asleep on my shoulder, and he's, uh, Martin's gone finding this police van. Um, anyway, and as he's on my shoulder, he's just sobbing, sobbing and sobbing and sobbing. And I remember he had, I had a really nice dress on because it was Christmas, and he was just snotting all down it. And I remember thinking, oh, no, what did I do this for? But he was crying and crying and crying and crying. And then he, he said to me, oh, he said... He said, thank you so much. He said, I don't know what has happened tonight. He said, he said, I only arrived in the island yesterday. He said, I'm a nurse at the PH. He said, this is my first day of working, first night. He said, he said I don't know what's happened. He said, I'm missing my family and I've had to leave them behind. And he was just crying and crying, crying, sobbing. And he was saying, I'm living at the PH. It's my staff accommodation. So I thought, great, I know where he's going. Um, so I had him on my shoulder. And he just poured out his heart. Now, I know he had had, you know, a little bit of intoxication, but it was just so real. And he was just, he was so embarrassed to be found in that situation. I could just tell, he was so embarrassed. So Martin comes back with a police van, and he makes the police say, there's Martin doing his bit, saying, don't you arrest him, you've got to just take him home safely. He's not allowed to be arrested. So we got him in the police van, the police promised they'd just take him home safely. And that was the end of it. He's gone. But you know what? It may not sound very significant encounter, and it's just one little journey. If you know Martin and I's lives, these things seem to pop up quite a lot. Um, but it's just one little encounter, you know, where you have this opportunity to show compassion. We could have just done the same as everybody else and just walked on home, got to the taxi van, gone home, and left him by the side of the road. But, you know, you can just make little differences just by saying, God, just use me. Just use me wherever I am, God. Just use me to show your compassion and your heart to others. You know, that's what makes faith exciting for me. If it was just church, I'm sorry, but it would just be a bit dull. Do you know, I want to live day by day in excitement and meeting people and in opportunities and being alive and seeing God at work all the time. We've been talking a lot about, about adventure, you know, Tim off on safari. Um, Adrian's having some adventures that I'm very admiring at the moment. But there's some real people with adventure in their belly. And I get excited, you know, excited for the adventure that is faith and alive. You know, it's exciting being in a living relationship with Jesus when our faith is alive and we have this heart of compassion for people. It's so exciting. That's what we long for so much more. So in conclusion this evening, the question that Jesus asked that man is the same question that he asks us today. Do you want me to touch your life? Do you want me to transform your life? Do you want to be made well? That's what Jesus asks us this evening. And I believe he has the power to change our circumstances in an instant. Sometimes it's a journey. It's not always miraculous. But I do believe in a God of miracles. 
And I do believe it can be miraculous. And so this evening, I don't believe it's about us having it all together. We don't need it all together. It's about having a desire to change, being willing to change. So I'm going to offer the opportunity this evening for prayer. And we're going to do it, and you're going to go, oh, no. It's chaotic. (laughs) It's chaotic. Um, But, you know, we want to be active and want to be together because we're believers together and it's good to encourage one another. But what I'd like us to do this evening is I'm going to ask in a moment, I'm going to challenge you, Lucy, if you could play some music in a moment. Is that okay? Yeah? (laughs) First miracle. Um, We're going to play some music. um, And then what I'm going to ask us to do this evening, I was really moved this morning in the prayer meeting. We have a prayer meeting at 930 and um, we ran a marathon this morning, okay? Uh, Matt took us on a marathon. And uh, we walked 26 laps of the church, like a mile. And we prayed 26 prayers uh, for, our, for ourselves, for our f- church, for our family, for, for Guernsey. And I want the thing that I, I love the walking and I love the praying because it helps focus my mind. But one thing that really got me was when I stopped... And I sat down, and everyone was still walking around. And I just had that sense, it was almost tonight like the pool at Bethesda, that stirring of the water. I can still feel quickly. A stirring of the water, like God wants to do something. And it's not the first person who jumps in the water. It's available to us all. Jesus is saying, do we want to be made well? And he's stirring up. The Spirit is just stirring as we're meeting together, and God wants to do something tonight. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Lucy to play some music in a moment because I want the uh, worship team to have the opportunity to be prayed for too if they want to. But what I, I just want us to do tonight is just to be brave and be courageous because I can imagine if you were unable to walk and you wanted to be the first person into the water after the angel, I'm sure you had to lose a bit of your dignity to try and be the first person into that pool. I'm sure everyone, not everybody was, you know, running a race. They would, it, was, it was difficult to get into that pool. And so this evening, I want us to have some courage. And um, what I'm going to ask you to do is if, if Jesus, if, you, if your response to the question that Jesus says, do you want to be made well? Do you want something to change? Not just physically, but a situation that you're praying for change. I'd ask you to stand in the aisle and in the front here. Okay, in a moment. And then for everybody else, I'm going to ask us, if we're able, to circle around them. Make a big sort of circle around. And we're just, it's not, we're not going to ask you this evening what the thing is. We're just going to pray. We're going to pray that the Spirit of God will come and meet that need, whatever it is tonight. This is between you and God. Okay, does that make sense? Everyone know what we're doing? Yeah? And we're just going to pray, and we're going to call out to God, and we're going to cry out to God and pray, okay, tonight for those in our family who just need a touch from Jesus tonight.